Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A, where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Julie Atherton, the founder and managing director of the marketing consultancy Small Wonder. A business leader, author, public speaker, consultant, and strategist, she has 30 years experience, gained working with global brands, including Nissan, AXA, Deloitte, ASOS, and many more. Her book, Social Media Strategy, a practical guide to social media marketing and customer engagement, was published in 2019 and is widely used by marketing professionals and as a core text in universities in the UK and the US. Julie's made her book available to our listeners with 20% off the cover price. If you go to coganpage.com forward slash SMS and use the discount code FMKSMS20. So in this episode, we're talking all about social media strategy. And here's the expert herself, Julie Atherton. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. And thanks for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I mean, you wrote the book about social media strategy. So I think we're going to learn a lot today. So, okay, first of all, tell us why you're interested specifically in social media strategy and why it's become so important today. Um, So I think social is social media is a completely different way of brands engaging with and communicating with their audience, with their customers. And it's it's different from every other media that we use because I think it's got three very unique characteristics. It's brave, it's very fresh, and it's also hyper creative. And I think the reason it's brave is because brands have to give up some of the ownership they have of the narrative, the way that they talk about themselves, the way they present themselves. They're actually opening themselves up to have that um affected and influenced by the people who want to engage with them. And so for me, that makes it a very, very exciting environment. And in order to be able to navigate that, a brand has to have a strategy. And it has to have a strategy because it needs to be able to make sure that the money that it spends in that space is giving it the return that it needs. And also, it needs to make sure that although it is giving up some control over the narrative, that narrative is still true to the brand's values, the brand's purpose. And over time, they're building equity in that brand, building revenue from the sales and from the engagements that they have. So, you know, the strategy is really important but actually it's it's done in a way that's quite different from the way that you're going to execute um you know say an email strategy or a display strategy or something like that i mean that's that's the challenge though because brands are generally a little bit on the back foot and so uh, the temptation is always to be reactive without strategy because new things are coming along all the time just as facebook did you know uh, for brands just over 10 years ago no, now we've got brands just reacting to things like TikTok and they don't feel that there's time to strategize. They just feel like there's an opportunity that they must capitalize now. But then they get caught in the cycle of doing that without ever taking the time to truly lay down a strategy. So I suppose the question is, can a social media strategy be timeless in a way that allows a brand to be reactive in that way to new technologies? Um, I think that's a really, really good point, actually, Will, because I think the temptation is for people to um, start with the delivery mechanism. So they start with, um, oh, well, I'm in TikTok and and how am I going to wait? Everyone's in TikTok. I need to be in TikTok. I need to make that work for my brand. But actually, if you start with your strategy, a more strategic approach, then you will determine through that strategy whether you need to be in TikTok in the first place and then how you would make TikTok work if we're using TikTok as an example. So in my book, I really, really simplify social strategy into three areas. So I call it ABC, it's audience, brand and campaigns. So rather than starting with 
the campaign part, which is where you would be if you were starting with, should I go in TikTok or not? I start with the audience. Who is the audience that is actually going to be essential for you to engage with if your business or brand is going to succeed? And then how much do we know about our audience? Find out everything that you can about the way that they behave and what they do in social and what they want from a relationship in social with your brand. Then we think about your brand and what your brand stands for, your positioning, what you need to deliver in terms of the brand for your business. And then you put the campaigns on there. And when you're putting that campaign activity in, they'll then be able to decide, you know, which channels you want to use, um, what kind of um, other kind of tactics you want to use based on meeting those audience and brand objectives. Um, And if you start that way, you've you've then got a way of of determining whether you need to jump on the bandwagon of the latest channel or the latest um you know app within that channel or not um and you've got a commercial way of deciding that as well which is really really important because you know it's fine for us you know we just might want to go and have a play in tiktok as individuals but when we're actually taking a brand into that environment like i said um a moment ago it's quite a brave thing to give up that ownership of the full brand narrative. And if you do that without knowing what the consequences are going to be, then you're you're really not making a very sound commercial dis- decision. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Um, and something I think I cannot overstress to people listening who, who are in marketing, that you have to have that strategy that underpins the why of everything that you do. Um, but how do you think social strategy has changed over the last decade? You know, is it still underpinned by the fundamentals of marketing, like, you know, the ADA model that originated in the 19th century, as you talk about in the book? Yeah, so um, I think the ADA model is is so simple and clear, um, you know, this kind of awareness, interest, desire and driving action. And I think, uh, I, I, you know, my... I was brought up in a direct marketing heritage. So action is absolutely fundamental. What is it, the reaction or action that we want somebody to take? We definitely need to be thinking about that in what we're doing. But I prefer from a social media strategy point of view to think more in the lines of the McKinsey customer decision journey. Um, And what that does is it recognises that in a digital environment, in a social environment, we are one click away from choosing another brand, a competitor. And it's very, very easy for us to, to do something different at the last moment. So the old ADA model, you start at the top, you move through that funnel and eventually the people who get to the end, desire, you know, take the action that the brand wants, they buy, they sign up or whatever it might be. Um, but the reality is in a, in a digital environment, what we're doing is we're constantly moving brands in and out of that consideration set. And while we're doing that in our heads, we're whittling down the reasons we might buy into the core criteria, the fundamentals that is it is it because it's got to be pink or blue? Is it because it's got to um, fit in a certain space that I've got on my desk? Is it um, is it because um, I need it to have, you know, a certain amount of memory or, or whatever it might be? We're whittling down in that choice down to the final criteria. And then if the, at the last moment, we get a referral, we see a, uh, a review site. Um, one of our friends mentions, you know, that they've just bought something um, in one of our social feeds. And we say, oh, actually, this brand that I've never even considered meets all the criteria that I want. I'm going to go with that one. And actually, that completely throws the ADA on its head in terms of a process. All those criteria that are involved in ADA are there, but the process of it is gone. And and so in a social strategy, we need to be aware that influence, recommendation, word of mouth through digital means and other means can have an enormous impact on that final decision. And that final decision can change at the very, very last moment. Could you give us an example? So 
I take us let's pick a thing that we've just that I've just bought so I've just bought a fridge and um obviously I need a fridge to be um something that can hold um uh you know that that's cold and fits in a certain space in my kitchen and um so I start researching that fridge and in the Ada model, I would maybe have 10 or 11 different fridges that I was looking at and I'd start to compare those, you know, and I'd start to move through, whittling them down and might get down to two at the end and I might pick one because it's cheaper than the other or I prefer something about it. In the customer decision journey, I might see my friend's fridge and it's a smeg for example and I think I really really want a smeg um, and I really want that smeg because it's blue and then I start to look online and research that and I start to add oh hold on a minute there's loads and loads of other blue fridges out there that I can start to consider and so I go through this process where I start to add in other brands I see other things I go to review sites and I'm whittling it down whittling it down and and then I get to the final point where I'm about to buy and I, for some reason, somebody in there, you know, on Facebook tells me that they've just bought a green fridge from a brand that I didn't even consider. I go and have a look at it and I think, wow, that colour is amazing. I knew I wanted a coloured fridge, but now I want a green one. And that, why don't I get the same one my friend's got? Because, you know, they love theirs. So I'm just going to get that. And I buy it. <laughs> and that is not Ada. You know, marketing strategy taught you by Ada wouldn't do that. But if you've got a social media strategy that's looking at all of those places on that journey where we can affect people, we know that what our friends say will have a much bigger effect on us than anything a brand says, but also a brand that we trust, that we've built up some kind of relationship with, that we maybe aspire to be part of, um, and that we're in some regular communication. And that doesn't have to always be two-way, but we are looking out for what they're talking about and what they're saying will keep us, you know, will we'll stay front of mind and we're more likely to choose them. So a good example of a brand that is um, uh, not in the fridge space, but in the mattress space is Casper. So how often do you buy a mattress? Not very often, probably less often than we should. They recommend one every 10 years, I think, don't they? But, um, but you know, we don't buy mattresses very often, but we might buy more than one mattress. You know, we might buy 10 mattresses in our lifetime. And what Casper do is they recognise that nobody cares about, you know, nobody even understands what five per springs per square inch or whatever it is means. Um, but what they do want to do is they want to be part of people's lives so that they remember them when they're buying a mattress. So they try and own sleep. So they have duvet days. They have um, bedtime stories. They have, um, you know, recipes for making things to eat in bed that don't make too many crumbs. And they kind of have a playful, joyful kind of experience with their customers that they maintain through social, through in the past having pop up beds in, you know, Times Square and places like that. And try to build a relationship with people around sleep and making your bed like this wonderful haven and recognizing that they're, that they're synonymous with that. Yeah, that's a good that's a good example. And I suppose what you're talking about to some extent exists past the funnel, like a past past the traditional Ada marketing funnel, doesn't it? It's that stuff where people become customers and then they become this referral engine. Uh, like and they loop round to repeat buying but also advocating and that was never quite accounted for in the same way in those traditional marketing models absolutely and i think um and this is um something that i think this decision journey really um considers because my personal feeling is that um, although in the McKinsey model, they think that the buy moment is the most important part of that model. So, you know, and in Ada, we, we say the buy moment is the most important part. 
And arguably for the brand is the most important part. But I personally believe that that is the most dangerous moment in a brand customer relationship. So I think that at the moment of purchase, we suddenly are racked with indecision and insecurity that we've made the wrong decision. And the longer that buying, that consideration um, journey is, and the higher the ticket item, and the more uh, the ticket price of the item, and the more people who may be affected by the purchase, the more we are racked with indecision. So actually, as a brand, we need to recognize that at that moment of purchase, we need to really understand how a consumer feels and make sure we're putting in that reinforcement and and reassurance and support and education to enable the experience of buying from us to feel as safe as possible. You know, if I book a holiday, um, you know, when I worked with travel clients, we used to say a holiday is only as good as your unhappiest child. You know, when you go on holiday, you know, if you you may think it's going to be marvellous, but if you haven't picked a decent, you know, something that's going to work for everybody, then it's going to, you know, it's a disaster whether you've spent, you know, £2,000 or £20,000 on it. Um, if it's a B2B purchase, you know, it's not just you, it's not like going out and having McDonald's or Burger King and it, you wish you'd had the other one um your whole job and your career prospects could be on the line if you've picked the wrong choice so we need to recognize exactly as you've talked about that bonded relationship beyond purchase comes from making purchase feel good and giving a really positive experience of the brand all the way through that consideration and evaluation process at the moment of purchase and beyond because not only does it create advocacy but it also creates um joy happiness confidence or at least you know a a feeling of that you've made the right decision when you did make that purchase yeah and i think that to some extent manifests in the unboxing experience with e-commerce yeah um which i think was influenced hugely by the way that apple packaged their products and everybody started to realize actually that's something that we never thought about investing in but the better someone feels about unwrapping something um, the more likely they are to want to share that and to want to remain loyal and get that again get that thrill again sometime but also what of course smart e-commerce brands do is put a social call to action in that package literally you know and uh you know if it's a item of clothing like instagram your look with their this brand hashtag you know because they're at their most engaged and their most um thrilled and it does that reinforcement it's a really good point and i think also if you think about outside of that e-commerce environment you think about automotive for example so nissan when they launched the nissan leaf recognize that when the first moment that you drive an electric vehicle i don't know if you have you ever driven an electric vehicle i haven't no okay so if you ever get a chance to drive an electric vehicle they are just a joyful experience they are like nothing else it's a completely different mode of travel um you um you're naught to 60 in like turning on a light switch you know there's no kind of delay so if you're a little bit of a boy racer then that's really great my parents uh, live on a farm and well sort of a was a farm um and um when i drove from their house um home down their lane because there's no engine sound you could hear the leaves crunching under the tires as you're driving along and because they live higher than me, um, you're braking and you can see yourself more than you're accelerating on the journey. So when you get home, you've actually created power rather than used energy. So Nissan recognised this, that when you first get that, when you first experience it, there are these moments of wonder And so they facilitated through Twitter for people to share those moments of wonder 
when they first got their car. And, you know, just there's so many of them and everyone has a different thing that they just think is absolutely incredible. And how do you know, so as a brand, recognizing that people are going to feel this, like you say, euphoria, how are they going to share that? What are they going to do? And we, we can help that as a brand by signposting these opportunities to share because we're social beings, aren't we? We want to tell people about things that are great that happen and that surprise us. And, and you know, so, so there's lots of different ways that we can do it. Absolutely. That's a really good example, the Nissan one. So, okay, let's start to kind of unpack social media strategy. I mean, there are, there are several sub-strategies and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how they play into, you know, an overarching social media strategy. So firstly, just thinking about listening and monitoring, because that's often part of that initial research phase. What's important for our listeners to think about here when they're conducting that? So I think I think it's really important for us to identify um, the audience that's going to be the most important one for us to connect with. And, and then to have a look at where they are in social media, because we may find that our core audience on our e-commerce database isn't actually the same audience that we have on social media. So we need to be aware that there could be differences between those things. So, you know, a lot of luxury brands who have um, high aspirational followings on social, their social media audience will be at its core an influencer audience, you know, and, and uh uh, a brand application audience rather than necessarily a customer of their business. So I think we need to be very clear about um, who that audience is. Is it our customer? Is it our consumer? Or is it an influencer on behalf of our brand? And that will then change the way that we might want to consider looking and listening to what they're doing. And then when we're listening, we'll want to understand, you know, what content they're interested in, how they use that channel, um, what channels they're on, um, how passive or active they are in that environment. And also, what kind of context can we gauge from what they're doing? You know, so what time of day are they um, engaging with us? Um, Where are they engaging with us? Um, And how are they doing that? You know, if we're in a B2B environment and somebody's, um, you know, looking at Twitter on their commute to work on a mobile device, they're not going to download a white paper. You know, that isn't going to be appropriate action for us to ask for. So therefore, understanding that context will help us determine what we're using those channels for, what we're using um, those audiences for um, at different times of the day, different days of the week and and all of those things. And the monitoring um, will, you know, the social listening allows us to gauge insights about these individuals which helps us build the strategy, but also then allows us to monitor what's happening while the campaign's running, when the activity's running, to be able to tweak and manipulate that. So, you know, if we see that certain types of content are working better than others, we see that um, changing when we post by a few hours has a dramatic impact on results, then we can start to tweak that as as the activity's running rather than just setting off, you know, a social campaign and, and letting it run. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, so that initial social media listening is kind of understanding, like you say, the context, the um, some of the lifestyle aspects of the audience, you know, how and when they use which channels, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for a good example, I suppose, is um, uh, the University of Gloucestershire. Um, they Uh, like all other universities, they communicate with their existing students and they use channels that, you know, students love using, you know, obviously they use, you know, Instagram's really popular, students use a lot of Snap and TikTok and things like that. But when they are trying to persuade people to come to the university, so either at clearing in August when people get their exam results or on open days when people are visiting the university, their primary channel of choice is actually Facebook. And the reason it's Facebook is because 
that's where both the parents and the students meet. They're both in that media. And because they know it's a shared decision and the parents have a big influence on where those young people decide to go, they're choosing a channel for their primary comms in that area where both those audiences exist. And they know that by social listening and they can monitor the engagement from these two different audiences on the content that they're using to be able to make sure it's still effective for them. That's a great example because that wouldn't be everybody's first assumption. You know, from a marketing point of view, you would think that uh, Facebook wasn't the right. And certainly once they join the university, that isn't going to be their choice, channel of choice to communicate because, you know, they don't spend a huge amount of time on Facebook. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game to sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Okay, so kind of moving through the, the, the social media strategy content strategy you know what does what do you think that looks like today at its most basic and how do you think that's changed or is changing so i think you know content strategy has to be really um based on this inbound marketing uh, model you know content is about attracting people to our brand or business because we're answering the questions that they have that we're we're really connecting with the needs that they have and that should be part of a a content strategy and should be fundamental so when we're thinking about um building a content strategy the pillars the the topic areas that we choose to communicate with um with people around should be based on what's really fundamental to our brand and also meets customer need in a relevant way So, you know, I I usually talk about as having um, recognizing a customer need, the brand or business having expertise in that area, have the right to talk about that content and both the brand and the customer are passionate about it. They care about it. So so that that's how I would think about building, um, think about the pillars. And then from an executional delivery point of view, I really like the Google Hero Hub um, hygiene. And I know you you use that as well, don't you, when you're mm. talking about content. I think that's a fantastic model. It's really simple. It's clear. The whole organization can understand it. It can, you know, it's easily put into a lay down plan at a high level and at a more de- uh, detailed level. Um, and fundamentally, what we're talking about is you then take each content pillar and you say, okay, What's the hero content for this pillar? What's what's really going to be the temple, big temple idea, which I will um, hang this activity, this campaign around? And then the hub content is that kind of regular promotional content that keeps people um, involved in that idea and keeps it, uh, you know, keeps the conversation alive, pe- keeps people coming back again and again. And then finally, the help content is the content that answers, um, you know, their questions that they might have is always on, is always available and they can, you know, is there when people want to see it. Mm. So I love Greg. So um, for people who are not in the UK, Greg's is a um, a very cheeky um, brand which um, in 2017 moved away from being a bakery proposition selling um, sausage rolls and sandwiches to saying we're going to compete in the food on the go market against uh, Costa and Starbucks and against um, Pret-a-Manger, which is a sort of much higher um, you know, widely known brand. So we're we're kind of be we're going to compete against McDonald's, Pret a Manger. We're going to compete against Costa and Starbucks. How are we going to do that? We're going to create a digital strategy um, based around social media that really demonstrates our personality and our attractiveness. And they they use the Hero Hub model, I I think, to do that. Um, so fab example is. Um, launching the vegan sausage roll in Veganuary. Mm. 
and they do exactly like you were talking about. They've got the unboxing of a vegan sausage roll in an iPhone box, in a box that looks like an iPhone box. And they've got a brilliant little film that goes out, which um, shows, you know, the all the attributes of a vegan sausage roll, like talked about, like an iPhone. So that's their hero content. Mm. Their hub content is all of their social activity that's, you know, keeping that conversation going, answering people's questions on social and, um, and you know, adding cheeky little comments and keeping the momentum around that activity. And their help content is, you know, their Google answer boxes, their sort of, um, is it true? You know, can it be true that this is a real sausage roll that's really, um, you know, really vegan when it tastes so good and all that reassurance stuff. So, you know, they, they're really good um, brand to watch I would recommend having a little look at their social feed um, if you're interested in seeing a brand that really builds its personality and uses um, topical um, you know timing so whether it's Christmas Valentine's Day Veganuary to to add its personality and it, its stamp on, on all of those things so yeah very good little brand it is a great case study, Greg's. It's well loved in the UK. Um, yeah. But and what I like about it is that they just owned who they are. You know, they are. They were always. They're in every town, and it's kind of a cheap bakery um, type little shop. And in most towns, it's been there for decades. And uh, they just really owned that. You know, and um, rather than trying to reinvent as something, you know, kind of higher end. Um, and it's everyone's kind of guilty pleasure, and I think we all love it. But what what really strikes me about that strategy is I always tell my delegates that all good content is either it's one of two things: it's either useful or entertaining. You know, it either meets an informational need uh, on the part of the audience, or it meets an entertainment need. And Greg's do both those things in a way that you wouldn't expect a a little kind of bakery chain to do and yet like you say the the videos that kind of pastiche the iphone launch videos very entertaining but at the same time so have you seen the um greg's diet sheet which is no. uh, does both of those things in exactly that way right. so you can do the greg's diet and have a sausage <laughs> roll every day and still lose weight <laughs> so there's information on there and it but it's also very funny yeah no, that's that's great and it's just such a such a big point not to be missed for me for listeners that you know you, you it's it's so important to make sure that you go beyond merely promoting your business because that's not what social media is for and it's not what people want to see in their feeds they will reject it and avoid it uh whereas and greg's understand that they understand that they've got to make content that when it lands in people's feeds it's to some extent welcome there and because it meets the needs of the audience in those two uh fundamental ways um so I suppose then moving on from content strategy is the platform strategy, which I know you talk lots about um, in your book. And in today's very fractured landscape, how do brands decide where to focus their resources and which social platforms to invest time and resource in? So I think um, I think it comes down to uh, doing less channels well. Um, and not feeling like you have to be in every single channel. Um, and also signposting, I think, sometimes for customers, for people who are engaging with you, with your followers, what's happening in those channels. So, you know, if your best response to uh, complaints is to put them into Twitter, then ask them to go to Twitter and you'll respond much more quickly there. And not that you won't do it in other places, but actually if that's going to be where the the fastest place for response is, then I would recommend you signpost those things and are clear with people. So open and transparent about what you're using each channel for. Um, but fundamentally, I think what we need to remember in social is that every channel is as different from each other as display is from above the line as email is from direct mail they are a different ecosystem in each place and we need to understand that when we're building our platform strategy and understand which channels um, are our audience going to want to engage with us within and 
more importantly, where they will be exhibiting the behavior that's going to um, be helpful for us as a business. So I don't think we're really as marketers in the business of trying to change people's behavior. What we what we want to do, I mean, we can try and do that. When I work with gym brand, we gym brands, we were trying to help people change their behavior, but because they wanted to change their behavior, they wanted to get fitter, they wanted to um be more healthy but in in from a marketing perspective you know we're not trying to change how people naturally behave in these environments so we need to understand what are the natural behaviors of our audience in the each channel and what are the tools that that channel has that will naturally amplify what we're trying to do as an organization and therefore let's be in that channel. And if 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 people aren't doing that behavior, then there's no point us being there. So for instance, if our audience is um, really active in Facebook, for example, are constantly sharing and commenting and adding to the stories that we tell, love to participate in Facebook Live events and things like that, then fantastic place for us to be but if our audience has a Facebook ID um, and just sits there and passively absorbs what's going on that might not be the right channel for us for us to be engaging with that audience and therefore we could question whether we need to be there at all even though it is universally available if it's not doing the job for us that we need it to do, then we should really challenge whether we're there or not and whether we need to move into newer channels. So I think a lot of people have a legacy Facebook presence for their brand, which may or may not be effective now that their audience is primarily using Instagram. And we need to think about what the purpose is um, of why we're in each of those channels and what purpose it's doing not only for us as a brand but what purpose it's doing for our audience and if we if we weren't investing time and money in something that isn't working for us anymore or never worked for us then what else could we be doing with that time and money and that's the marketing decision and I think we can we're we're very ruthless um, with our other marketing channels but because social sometimes isn't well understood at a board level, maybe some of the measurements that get discussed about social aren't as easily understood um, by key decision makers in businesses. And because we may be a bit afraid not to be where everybody else is, we sometimes carry on in social in channels that might not still be right for us. Mm, I I agree. I mean, I I actually heard you say that on another podcast about you know different social channels being as different from one another as different market channels, and that, I love that point. It was a a real light bulb moment for me because I've never thought about it in that way. And you're so right, and it's so missed. People talk about social like they literally boil this whole world into social. Are we doing social? And you're right that you know it's such a different proposition you operate so differently um and 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 it's like you know you see so many marketers i think there's a few things going on there but um i think people who work in marketing are terrified of being asked so how's your company doing on uh, instagram then and and having the answer oh we're not on instagram and they sort of feel like they'll be you know shown up to be some sort of dinosaur because they're not on these these channels um, but what I tell my clients is, and my clients and my delegates, I tell them, you know, actually, how few places can you be in and how brilliantly can you, you know, be there, like play where you can win. You know, don't play, you don't play 10 different sports at the weekend because you'd never be able to learn to be good at those. If you think you've got an aptitude for football, just go hard on being amazing at football. And, you know, as it is with these social channels, I think that, um, you know, if you're a visual brand and you can absolutely smash it out of the park on Instagram, you know, to really try and conquer that first and foremost and uh, question whether you should be switching some of your other accounts off altogether because they appear in Google re search results and 
might be just gathering tumbleweed and not representing your brand particularly well. And also, and 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 it's, you're exactly right there because it is it's this eighty twenty rule, isn't it? So if we think about our audience. Yes, they might be on 15 different social channels, but where is your core audience spending the majority of their time? And what are they doing there that they could do on behalf of your business or brand? And um, you might want to go and spend, you know, be in those other places as well. And that's fine. But they are your secondary channels for your marketing objectives. And recognising that they have a secondary purpose will allow you to prioritise budget, prioritise time and also prioritise effort in measuring and monitoring and all of those other things. Because let's face it, there's a huge amount of data that's created in social and we need to, you know, we can't we can't do everything well. And so exactly to your point, you know, you know a lot of our core decision making from a strategy point of view is deciding not what we could do, but what we shouldn't do, and what we're not going to do and why we're not going to do it. And and that's why strategy is so great, because of having a strategy enables you to have written down and articulated that decision making process in a way that other people can um, absorb it and challenge and then agree the out the the route that you're going to take and therefore those sort of questions may come up but you're very comfortable in answering them because well we've we've done a strategy and and you know our our priorities are x y and z a lot of times with um b2b you know people spend a lot of time being on a lot of different channels and they're not always certain why they're on those channels and then they end up just putting the same content out on those channels. Well, actually, the way people behave is so different in each of them that, you know, the worst thing to do is to have that same content on every channel. Just it's you, you're, ne- you're either doing one right and the rest wrong, if you do that, or you're doing all of them wrong because you've got some kind of middling kind of approach. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to nail it, but there's some sort of sailing analogy here because when you're sailing, if you, you know, absolutely you react to the waves as they hit the boat. But if you, if that's all that you do and you lose sight of your course or you just end up basically in the middle of nowhere and completely off course and that social media strategy is the, 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 the plotted course that you absolutely, you know, stick to it and, and keep in sight as you progress. Um, and of course, you know, having covered all that, then we get to the amplification uh, end of the strategy, a page strategy. So my question to you is, do you think that, you know, today it's actually possible to have a viable social media presence without the support of ads in these times of content saturation and low organic reach. Um, so I'm not I'm not against paying for social um, media advertising, but I really am fundamentally against building a strategy that's based on um, advertising first, paid advertising first. And the reason for that is because I I genuinely believe that social is not just an advertising platform. So a lot of the big platforms would like you to treat it like it's an advertising platform where you can go out there and target your audience and you can find whoever you want. But if we think about the inbound outbound model for marketing, I think primarily social should sit on that inbound side. So it should be about creating a space where a brand and a consumer meet and they both want to engage and talk about things that are important to each other. And if we get that bit right, if we understand our audience and we understand our brand purpose and we get that bit right, we've actually got a dialogue there, a foundation there that we can add advertising on top of to increase our reach, to find new audiences, to maybe... Um, Uh, you know, do retargeting to make sure that we sort of, you know, persuade people to actually make that purchase. Um, But that will all be enhanced because it's on a really solid foundation of credible um, inbound social media presence. And I think that 
that is where I always start with people. And I, I really feel that, you know, if you do that, the amount of spend that you need to have will be a lot less. And for many organisations, depending on what they want to do, and certainly for, for many smaller organisations, they will spend nothing to very little um, on that um, social advertising. And what they do spend will be highly targeted to affect specific and very tight uh, marketing goals. Mm. So you think there's a danger of over-reliance on ad spend and it can seem like a a silver bullet to get numbers quickly. But in actual fact, the minute you turn it off, you're, you don't have a community. You know, you don't have an actual yeah. social presence in the true sense of the word. And also you are at risk of not of being lazy, I think, as well, because you can pay to be seen by the people that you want to see your brand you ha have less incentive to very clearly differentiate your proposition and very clearly differentiate your content strategy to be fundamentally something that you own as a business and is um, and so you become much more much more likely to be commoditized and it's you know the offers that you've got um, that are driving, um, purchase and and um, lifetime value rather than um, you know actually seeing yourself as being alongside that brand so so Greg's doesn't sell you know nobody sells anything really that's any different from their competitor Greg's doesn't really sell anything different from um, you know other fast food on the go chains you know you can get sausage rolls you can get sandwiches you can get a cup of coffee you know all of these things and you can get them in all, in all their competitors sell the same stuff the reason people engage with Greg's on social media is this cheeky maverick um, you know irreverent maverick as um, Adam Morgan would describe it as in his challenger brand thinking um, personality that kind of is just out there and people want to see what they're going to do at Christmas, you know, putting baby Jesus, uh, you know, the baby Jesus sausage roll, the Valentine's Day where you could book a table at Greg's and, you know, take somebody for a romantic dinner, which consisted of, a, you know, sausage roll starters and <laughs> steak slice and donuts for dessert. You know what I mean? Mm. These are sort of things that people, they make people laugh and they, they, mm. they enjoy the Greg's experience and say, and when you go to Greg's, you're reinforcing the fact that you have that, you've got a sense of humor, that you mm. find that funny and you, and you want to engage with that and you want to be part of that. And it makes you smile to see what they're going to do. And actually, if you follow them on social, I've become a bit of an addict. Mm. I don't eat that many sausage rolls, to be fair. Um, as I don't eat meat, uh, but I don't mind a vegan a vegan sausage roll every now and again. Um, but um, but yeah, I I think um, you know you want to see how that what their take is going to be on the next event. You know what what are they going to do for Easter? What are they going to do for Halloween? Mm. You know. No, I agree. I mean, it, it's not. There's no there's no brand experience or brand relationship in purely promotional paid ads. Um, but I suppose that's quite a, yeah, we're sort of, um, it could, I don't want this to sound like a negative take because, of course, paid ads in social can be a really w great way to complement what you're doing and a great way to remarket to people who nearly bought or who abandoned cart, um, a great way to ensure that your existing audience see a very important offer that day. So it's a sort of, um, it is a sprinkle on top at the very least. Absolutely. And I think it, I think it's a sprinkle on top. And I, th and I think it's also, um, maybe I've done it a disservice in what, how I presented it before. I think it's a sprinkle on top and I think it's a very large part of the armory. So there's a lot of things that you can do with paid, which you can't do organically as easily. Um, so for instance, if we go, don't really want to use Greg's for every example, but it's quite good because, um, you know, there are certain times of the day where you're more likely to want a cup of coffee or you're more likely to want to buy lunch. So therefore, if you can target people who are in the location of a Greg's with an offer at the time when they're mo most likely to want to um, consume that 
piece that food or drink then you can do that really brilliantly through paid advertising and you can make sure that's seen by everyone in that location and you know straight to their mobile so so I think there are some really clever things that we can do with advertising and exactly you know if you want to have high impact for a campaign you want to reach a really high target audience uh, you know high volume of people then paying for advertising is brilliant and social has become you know one of the, the you know one of the most highly used advertising channels as well as being this inbound organic space that communities exist and I think I'm what I'm saying I suppose well is we need to do both and but my starting point would be to start with the why we're on social and why those channels are right for me and then add the paid advertising to that rather than start off with the paid advertising as the core of that strategic um, positioning. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Incidentally, I think you could say the same thing about search, you know, because the minute you turn off paid search, you're invisible again. Whereas if you actually build an organic presence, and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want free traffic? Um, and in the case of social, why wouldn't you want a community that loves what you do and is the people in the world who would be most interested in what you do? And you've gathered them together to, you know, congregate around that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's I think that you're right. It's an important starting point. It goes back to. Um, so I don't know if you've read the IPA's um, Institute of Pre- of practitioners in advertising report um, where they analysed um, brand longevity and brand value. And they, there's been quite a big debate actually as well. It's been going on for a few years now about um, digital marketing encourages people to just do um, sales activation, short-term sales activation, because you know you can spend some money, you get the responses and you know what the return is. But actually the brands that have long-term brand value, who have brand longevity, are those that invest both in brand building and in sales activation. And recommendation is that you spend slightly more money on brand building than you spend on a sales activation to have the optimum um, results. So I think in any strategy, whether that's a social strategy or any other kind of digital strategy or any other marketing strategy, you know, really being honest about how much money you're spending on building your brand, building that community or whatever it might be, and that reputation and the reasons why somebody would want to engage and be part of your um, part of that brand are as important, if not more important, than the sales activation you add on top. And so that kind of fits, I think, probably quite nicely with this mix between paid and uh, and organic. Yes. Yeah, no, I get that. That's great. Well, um, that's all we have time for in this episode. I feel like in such a short space amount of time, I've learned so much. You're such a fountain of knowledge. So thanks oh, thank a you. million for <laughs> coming on and telling us this stuff because all of it was, I think, is stuff that all marketers whether they're running you know uh, sole trader businesses or working at big global brands it's all stuff that we really need to hear um just to uh, cap off could you tell listeners where they can find you and follow you on the web um, and also where they can get your book so you can find me on linkedin or follow me on twitter at julie atherton sw and you can find my book at kogan page koganpage.com backslash SMS and the discount code FMKSMS20, um, then you can get 20% off. So um, hope you like it. And I've uh, really enjoyed um, talking to you today, Will. So thanks very much for inviting me on. Thanks for your time, Julie. It was great. See ya. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Myself and all the team at the DMI would really, really appreciate that. And it would help us get the podcast to more people hoping to learn more about digital marketing. So thanks again for listening. Take care and I will see you soon.